Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones, and this is Season 7, Episode 10. This week, I'm doing a couple of encore presentations where I've talked to some of my biggest celebrity interviews, um, and these are people that are just huge names in the baking world. Not that um, I you know, haven't had more people on that were also huge names in the baking world, but these are two people that I had a chance to talk to, and I was just gobsmacked to have a chance to talk to them and just nervous as hell um, and just really enjoyed how gregarious and fun and just inviting they both were and I really um, am so glad to have had a chance to talk to these two people. Um, first in this week uh, today uh, is Dory Greenspan and uh, she was um, promoting her book at the time Baking with Dory but she is you know She's written so many books. I mean, she's she's author of 13 books, uh, multiple awards, five James Beard Awards. She's just a superstar and just beloved in the food writing world, as she should be, because she's just an amazing person. And I wanted to, you know, bring this episode back because I had been concerned that that it was so back uh, back in my catalog that many people hadn't had a chance to listen to it. So I really wanted to get a chance to play this again so that people could hear this interview with her. And she was just so nice and so wonderful and so caring. I just would love a chance to get to talk to her again. I feel like she's a friend and she just is the greatest person uh, I've ever talked to. Just amazing. So without further ado, we're going to go to this encore presentation of my conversation with uh, food writer extraordinaire Dory Greenspan. And just as a side note for later, I, I haven't tried making croissants yet, uh, but I hope to do that soon. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm very honored to be talking to the wonderful Dory Greenspan. We're talking with her about her newest book, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. Welcome, Dory. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to have you here. Like I said earlier, I, I feel like I've won the lottery. I feel so very blessed. So thank you. Now, I want to go with a question you probably get a lot because it's in your bio. And I, I'm just interested in hearing the story. And I think the listeners will be too. Um, you wrote that you you burned down or nearly burned down your, your parents' kitchen when you were 12. And you weren't allowed to cook again until later in your life. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, I did that. So um, my parents were out. I was with two friends. We were in seventh grade, so I'm thinking we were 12. And we decided to make frozen French fries. And I thought French fries oil. Of yeah. course, I mean, three of us, do we ever look at the back of the instruction, the back of the box instruction? No. So I put oil up to burn. No, I didn't put it up to burn. I put it up to boil. And I put a lid on the pot because I thought if water boils faster with a lid, so would oil. I learned the water thing in science class. Well, when I lifted the lid, the flames were, they were amazing. They were the kinds of flames that like circle the pot and come up. Yeah. And oh my, my God. Exactly. Oh my God. And they, yeah, they kind of were up on top of the cabinets. It was pretty terrible. Somebody was smart enough to say, put the lid back on. Oh. Um, yeah. Which, you know, but so when my parents came home, they found 
my French had flown. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> they found me and they found my two brothers and there was a babysitter, but she had been sleeping through all of this, sitting on the front steps of our house with the fire trucks in front of the house and firemen behind us. Essentially, they said, just wait until your parents come home and we tell oh, them. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, my mother cried. Oh. First, she said, first, she said, I'm so glad everyone's okay. Doesn't matter. It's only a kitchen. You know, you're healthy. You're unharmed. That's great. And then she just cried for the rest of the night. Oh, that actually makes it worse. Could you please yell at me instead? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that was that was my first experience in the kitchen. And then I got married um, when I was 19. I was a college student. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, Michael had his first job. I was, you know, a student there we I, I had to cook. I had to cook because we had to eat. I had to cook because we had no money to go out. Um, and I discovered I loved it. It was really, it was almost immediate. I loved making food. I loved having people around the table. Um, and soon I learned that I loved dessert, that I loved to make dessert, yeah. So it was, um, I burned my parents' kitchen down. My mother cried. I didn't cook or bake, but it wasn't such a long period because it was seven years later that I got married and went into the kitchen and loved it, yeah. Wonderful for us that you did. Um, now you were considering, I find this interesting because I also wish I had, I have like, you know, I wish I had done a different career path sometimes, although I love being a librarian, but um, you gave up a doctorate in gerontology. So that was what uh, made you want to do that. And then how did you go from that to working in a restaurant? Yeah. So I, um, I, I, got a job, I always say it's the job that spoiled me for all other work because it was so fabulous. I got a job in a research center in New York City where it, we, were, we were such a small group that everybody had to do everything. So I learned to write grant proposals. I learned to talk to politicians. I learned to use the Xerox machine. I learned to, you know, wrap packages of boxes with packing tape. I mean, we did everything. And um, it was from that job that I went to graduate school in gerontology. And I always say it's the only deadline I didn't meet, the only writing project. I didn't write my dissertation. And when it was time to, and I had, a, I, I had work, I was going to school at night and I was working during the day. And um, I had the kid, Joshua, and it was time for me to go back. And I just didn't want to, I just couldn't. I, it, it just didn't interest me any longer. And Michael said, you know, you love baking. Why don't you try and get a job as a baker? And that was the change. Yeah, I work with a lot of dissertation students and I see that happen a lot. Like the people start out, they're interested in something. And then by the time they're finished, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> well, well, but I think that those of us who realize that it's not what we want to do are really lucky. And those of us who realize it's not what we want to do and find something that we really want to do are really, really very lucky because it could have just been, I don't want to go back and what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I was, I, it is best to find out early on that, you know, because you do ultimately, 
otherwise you're buried in a job you, you're like not interested in any longer wishing like what if like what if you know what if is a question i ask all the time but i usually ask it like what if i added coffee to this recipe what if i'm a real what ifer um that's a good what if that's 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 a better what if than than a regretful one yeah now i i noticed i was noting that you have written cookbooks with some of the famous chefs in history julia child pierre herme is that correct herme yeah okay and then daniel balu yep um that must have been intimidating to do. What was that like? I mean, I, I just think of like, a, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. That must have been magnificent to do that. It was extraordinary. Um, those three people were, so Julia, Julia's Julia. Yes. Daniel Bellew, famous um, French chef who really made his name and his fame in America. And Pierre Hermé, a famous French pastry chef who's, you know, a household name in France, although perhaps not not here. Um, you know, I always say I'm lucky and people say, oh, you know, it's not luck. A lot of it is luck. Um, I was really lucky to work with these, these amazingly talented and, and really smart people. Um, and it was scary. So I you know, I was the kid in school who never raised her hand because I was too shy, but I kind of pushed myself to say yes, even when I'm really scared. And I was, those, the projects, writing with Danielle, with Pierre, and with Julia really frightened me, but I said yes, because I knew that this was going to be, I was going to learn so much doing it. And I find this often with people who are amazingly talented as these three are, were. Um, they're so generous. They're so encouraging. They, I, I wanted to do the best job I possibly could and they wanted to help me do it. They were great teachers. They were great oh. teachers. Oh, that was so amazing. Um, now you're a columnist for the New York Times Magazine. And I've worked in newspapers a bit, so I know what it's like. What is it like working in that unique kind of writing deadlines, time period style? And also, like, what challenges does it give you as a writer? So, I'm, you know, you said you said it was intimidating to work with Julia, you know, Pierre and Danielle Boulou. Um, Just saying the New York Times is, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those words are like big, you know. Yeah, you, you see that, that, you say New York Times, you see the masthead. Um, I, so I'm, I write a column, but it's, it's monthly. So, um, but it is, what's funny, I mean, the deadlines, are, it's funny, you say deadlines, they're funny because it's, it's only once a month, but there seems to be something that has to be done on the column every week. Right. So, um, my column is fact-checked as though I were the president of the United States making an announcement. Yep, yep. So, um, and that's something that, you know, I, I, I always, I, I would love if somebody fact-checked everything, um, but that's a hard one because you've now written your column, it's ready to go, you're seeing it in proof, and the fact-checker calls and says, 
you know, you said that street in Paris was cobblestoned. I looked on Google Earth. <laughs> True. Those oh my God. Are, those are Belgian blocks. <laughs> I said, you know, Belgian blocks, not as romantic as cobblestone. And he said, but that's what they are. I wrote around that one. So oh, it's, no. it's really interesting. I'm not, you know, I've, I've been writing my first piece came out in 1983. So it's a long time that I'm writing. Um, and writing for a newspaper is that you're right, is a completely other experience. It's you do your writing by yourself. I mean, you can do reporting things and all, but essentially it's a solitary activity. And then there are so many people. When my proof gets sent around, it's sent to 11 people. Wow. So yeah, it's really it's another it's another way of, and I'm grateful to have eleven set of eyes on my work. Eleven, yeah, yeah. eleven, eleven, twenty-two eyes that are attached to eleven very smart people. Um, sorry, that's the coffee machine groaning. No, no, it's great. It's fine. I, uh, um, how did you? How did you begin to write? Like, where at what point did you thought, you know, I think I'll do some writing? Like, where did that come in for you? So, my husband claims that when he met me and I was a teenager, um, that I said I wanted to be a writer. I don't remember saying those words and I didn't do anything that would have set me on that path. I wasn't an English major, um, I didn't write the job that spoiled me for all of the work was a writing job. Aside from packing up boxes and stuff, I wrote. And, um, and once again, you know, I really was lucky. I worked with people who encouraged me. I worked with people who saw something and helped me develop it. And it, make, it, makes, it makes a huge difference to have someone on your side and to have someone who can help you. And so I really began writing there. And then, and then I got, I, 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 when, when Michael said, well, you know, why don't you be a baker? I got a job as a baker. And when that didn't work out, a friend of mine said, maybe you should write about food. I, it had never occurred to me and it wasn't quite, well, it wasn't at all what it is now. And so it wouldn't have been top of mind but it took a push from someone for me to, to do it. And yeah, then I was scared, you know, scared because it wasn't what I did. You know, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I hadn't gone to, I didn't have an MFA in creative writing. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't an English major. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, but I did the work. Um, I wanted to ask you, I, because I, I, I've been kind of looking forward to asking this question because I, I loved it in an interview I saw you in. You were talking at the Google, I believe, and you said that you were, I think, angry with your mother that you were not born in Paris. <laughs> Before she died, I did forgive her. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wish I could find it. Somebody just sent me something. I think it was Diana Vreeland who said... Um, Something like um, the most important thing is to be born in Paris. After that, everything will fall into place. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that, that was it. So when, when I went to Paris for the first time, I just 
I just fell in love with the city and I felt comfortable in a way that I had never felt before. And I, and I haven't felt that way in any other place. It was like, I, you know, put my foot down and felt at home and, and returned and said to my mother that she'd made a mistake. She'd had me in Brooklyn. And I'm sure, I was so sure she meant for me to be born in Paris. I've been trying to make up for that ever since. Now you've been living in uh, Connecticut, uh, New York, and Paris. How has that affected your cooking and cooking style? Hmm. So I, I'm certainly, I'm certain I, from the start I was influenced by French cooking, and but living in the three places, I think what it affects more than my cooking is my shopping. That the way that so when I'm in Paris. Um, it takes me, you know, take, it takes all morning to shop because you buy your cheese from the cheesemonger. Um, you buy your bread at the bakery. You might go to an open air market and walk along the stalls and, you know, buy fruit from one person and meat from another. And you might have a special fishmonger that you go to or somebody for, so it takes, it takes the entire day to shop for, for dinner. And I love that. And I love that. I love that, you know, I get to know the vendors and we get to talk about things. When I go to the cheese shop, Twiggy, that's actually, she's French and that's her name. Uh -huh. nice. um, <laughs> Twiggy, you know, will say, um, she'll have the cheese that she'll know I'll like. She'll say, no, you, Michael won't eat this. I know, but I think you'll like this. And this is for Michael. It's, you know, here I'm in Connecticut now. Um, it's stop and shop or the big Y. Right. There, right. There, there, is, there are some specialty shops, but it's, I think my style of cooking is, style is pretty much the same, no matter where I am. But the ingredients change. And I, while, while I write, you know, I work and develop and write recipes, most of the time I cook on a whim. And so if my cooking changes, it's because I have ingredients that are different that I can play with. Now, I was gonna ask you um, specifically about the French cooking. I feel like most Americans have a misrepresentation on what French cooking's like. Um, so can you, can you address that maybe a little bit? So, so I think what you're hinting at is that French cooking seems intimidating or right. fancy or fussy or rich or, to which I say, no, 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 it's not, it's not. And I feel like I've spent a lot of years writing about French food that isn't fancy, isn't fussy, isn't rich, to try and open that cooking, the pleasures of that cooking, the joy of that cooking to a wider audience. Um, restaurant food, can be fancy. Restaurant food can be, right. food. but French home cooks are so practical that we have, we have so much to learn from how French people cook at home. They are really practical. Their dishes are very homey. They know how to like squeeze the last bit of flavor out of something. They're thrifty cooks. It's just the opposite of the impression that so many of us have of French cooking. Now, in your new cookbook, um, Baking with Dory, Sweet, 
salty and simple. You write, I'm happiest with a recipe that looks familiar, harbors something unexpected. And from the rest of the cookbook, it looks like you seem to want to live up to that. Can we talk about the influences of that idea on your cookbook? So I, I feel like I, if I, if I were to look back at my cooking and baking, um, I, everything I do seems to have gotten simpler and simpler and simpler, particularly my baking. So when I was first learning how to bake, I, if it wasn't hard, I didn't want to make it. If it wasn't complicated, I didn't want to make it because I was teaching myself how to do this. Now I want, I want things to be simple, but I want them to really be flavorful. And I find that you know, if you're cooking simply, if you're baking simply, but really in baking, it's very important. It's, you need to get the most out of each ingredient. Um, and so I, you know, baking, baking is kind of classic. I mean, if I say chocolate chip cookie, you know what I'm talking about. If right. I say pancake, you know. So for me, the fun is to say chocolate chip cookie to you and have you say, you didn't tell me there were poppy seeds in this or wait, is that allspice I taste? So something where you think you know what you've got, you think you've had it a thousand times and there's that pow moment that, wow, this tastes different. Um, I did, so one of, one of the cookies that, um, it seems to have taken on a life of its own um, is my world peace cookie. And um, I recently played with it. I said, I got the recipe. Actually, was, the original recipe was from Pierre Hermé. I got it over 20 years ago and I was never going to change it. And I was asked to do a cookie for um, Charlotte Druckmann's book, Women on Food. And I thought, okay, I can't change it. I can't. Okay, I will. And I added ingredients that I felt really talked about. Um, what was what was you know one some of the great characteristics of women, and <coughs> I put cocoa nibs in there for strength, and I Ooh. put dried strawberries in there for like pizzazz, and I ended up putting um, pink peppercorns in. Ooh, nice. For surprise, for surprise. And it's that kind of thing. It's one little ingredient that can take something that you think you know and make you stop and really think about it and make your eyes open and say, oh, this is new. Like using, um, I, I, in, in, in Baking with Dory, I've got um, Christmas cookies that have... Um, star anise in them and star anise is a flavor that you might know from asian cuisine it's often paired with beef and the idea of making it the star of a cookie um it changes everything that you think about both the spice and the and a cookie i love doing that i that sounds wonderful i mean i i like playing with stuff too it's so fun to try something new and it, when it's a success it's like oh this is kind of a surprise. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group 
dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. From a writing point of view, is it difficult to make a cookbook with a feature of adaptability? Was that kind of tough in the writing process? So, so it took me, you know, it, it took me years to forgive my mother for not having me in Paris. It took me more years to realize that that comes naturally to me, that I, so when, when I didn't go back to my doctorate or my my work, I um, I got a job in a bakery and it went in a restaurant as a baker and I got fired a month later. And I got fired because I took their signature cake and changed the ingredients. And I didn't tell them. I don't think it would have mattered if I had told them, but, and I sent the cake out and it wasn't what anybody expected. And that was a case of a surprise wasn't a good one. And I got fired and I got fired for creative insubordination. Oh my God. <laughs> now, now, all these years later, I think this is fabulous. This is a, this is, you know, this is like a badge of honor. And so when I think back, I realized that from my very beginnings as a baker, I was playing around. Um, which is at the end of many of my recipes, I have a little section called playing around and it gives you the opportunity to swap ingredients, to change flavors, to change the shape of something, to rethink it. And so that was, that was me. Um, and I got punished for it when I didn't realize that it was really a good quality. And so no, that's not hard for me. And I also take it as I love being able to provide these alternatives and this encouragement to take my recipes and play around with them because, because I think it helps people be bakers. Um, it loosens up baking the way French food has a reputation of being you know, intimidating. I think there are people who are, are a little afraid of baking. And I think- Oh yeah, me. <laughs> oh, no, oh, come on. You know, when you can rough up the edges a bit, when you can expand the possibilities, then I think people are able to see baking as something that's not as, not so rigid and it encourages them to bake. Yeah, because it's not, I get daunted by the classics and I'm I'm still terrified to even try croissants. And so I, one of these days I'm going to tackle, I'm going to tackle that mountain, but you know, it's going to, it's going to be a while. What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? You'd have a flat croissant. Yeah, that's true. Big deal. Yeah. I like, I like the term that you use though, creative and subordination. What a wonderful title. That's almost worthy of a tattoo or something. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, wait, what? What what would the noun of it be? I'm a creative insubordinate. No. Yeah. Yeah. A... yeah. Maybe just a t-shirt. Yeah. I, I, that sounds <laughs> I, good. Branding. I like it. Um, you've won five James Beard awards, and you're inducted into the Who's Who of Food and Beverage of America, as well as you've been awarded with the Order of Agricultural Merit from the French government for your outstanding writing in the foods of that country. And you've won lots of other awards. 
looking back over all these things, these, these uh, accolades you've received, when you ever, when you were younger, did you ever think you would get here where you're at now? No. Impo I mean, who would have thunk? Who would have, I don't, no, no. It would have been impossible for me. Remember I said, I'm the one who didn't raise my hand in class. Um, it just seems like, no, there's no way that I could have imagined this. And actually, you know, it's funny when, when I, when I tried to get a job as a baker, um, I was told that I couldn't get a job because I was a woman. And then when I got a chance to write for a magazine, I wrote for Food and Wine magazine was my first story. Um, and I told people, I'm writing about food. Most people looked at me and said, what does that mean? Because it wasn't, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't glamorous. Food was not, um, we didn't think about food the way we do now. We didn't think about the people who make food the same way we think about them now. Um, so even if I thought I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to win awards, I can't imagine that would ever, you know, in a way, it, it would it would have been impossible to think about that, but I didn't as just as a as a human as me. I never, never. I um I'm glad it's you amazing. glad you did. It's Sorry? amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So you're a very accomplished and busy writer, but I was going to ask you. I know from looking at your social media that you do read a lot of other people. So do you want to talk about any any other fighter? food writers that you're reading or the blogs that you pursue? Well, so I, um, I read, so I read a lot of cookbooks. I yeah. don't, when I'm working on a book, I when I'm working on a book, I don't cook from other people's books, but I love cooking from other people's recipes. So there are books that I love. I love, um, Joanne Chang's baking books, but I also love her book, Myers and Chang. Um, I just did, so I, I recently started a newsletter, um, XOXO Dory, and today I just posted a recipe from Zoe Francois's book, Zoe Bakes. Um, I love her stuff. Wait, I'm, looking, I'm looking up because I'm looking at my cookbook shelf. Um, I have all the Otolenge books and he just opened a whole new pantry for me. I mean, as I think he did for many, many people. I think we're using spices that he helped us get comfortable with. Um, I read a lot of memoir and it's often not food memoir, but I just finished, oh, it, I, I finished a book that made me laugh out loud. I woke Michael up one night and said, here, let me read this to you. And it also made me cry. It was a wonderful book. It's called Stuffed, and it's by Patricia Volk, B-O-L-K. Um, I I try. I wish I I I I try reading like every night, and I fall asleep. But me too. <laughs> and I and I just finished reading. Um, the Madness of Crowds, which has nothing to do with food, except that there are so many mentions of food in it. Um, Louise Penny's actually number one best-selling book. Um, 
she has a lovely way of talking about food there it's a it's a novel it's her 17th with a, a like a repertory company of characters in a small village that she created in Canada and there's always food in it and I had the chance to interview her and I said why why the food it's just a mention here and a mention there and and she said it's food that brings people together she said when I talk about food I know that I'm bringing readers further into the story and I thought that was so interesting like that so I was going to ask you, what would be your best advice for somebody who's starting out in baking and they're daunted by it? Bake. 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 So I think that baking is actually easier than cooking. I think that if you have a good recipe, then your job as a beginning baker is to follow the recipe. And that you can do that. Anybody can do that. Right. So you get your ingredients out, read the recipe all the way through at least once, I'd say twice, and work step by step. Cooking, there are so many judgment calls. There are so many, you're seasoning to taste. You may not know what these seasonings taste like or how much you like or what. Baking, if you're starting with a good recipe, is really a much easier craft. And I don't think, like, you know, you were saying that maybe one day you'll tackle croissant. And I said, you know, what's the worst it could be? So it'll be buttery dough, you know, baked buttery dough, flat, or who knows, you know, <laughs> who knows what will happen in the oven. But for the most part, in baking, there aren't, is this fair to say, am I exaggerating or under-exaggerating? There aren't all that many failures. You can have, it can sink, a cake can sink a little bit. A cookie might be a little flat. You might bake, but mostly they taste good. And mostly they'll taste great with ice cream. So yep, it's, sure. well, it's like dive in if you want to do it. Baking's an extracurricular activity. You don't have to bake to live. Right. But when, you, you know, if you want to bake, don't let anything stop you. I find baking... I find baking a pleasure. I find everything that you do in baking, the way you use ingredients, the way you transform them, the way you touch them, it's so satisfying. Um, and then you get to share what you've baked because even I don't bake just for myself. So it's yeah. a sharing, it's a sharing activity. Oh, absolutely. It's the best part about it, watching people that you love or or enjoy trying something that you've made and enjoying it. It's just, it's the best feeling in the world. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now fall is coming up. Are you looking forward to any seasonal recipes for baking or cooking? So I've already bought apples at the farm stand. Nice. Okay. I haven't made my first apple pie yet, but I have made a crisp. Um, this is this, I mean, this is baker's paradise time. This oh, is yeah. really, yeah, this is really when it all, it all starts. Um, apples, pears. I just did a tart with sweet potatoes. Ooh, um, that sounds really good. Yeah, so I've, been, what? I've been cooking apples and pies and crisps with pumpkin. And, you know, I never thought that, and I'm not talking about pureed, but like chunks of pumpkin. 
-hmm. never thought that with Apple would be good. It's one of the best things I've ever like eaten. I was so en enraptured by it. This, this doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that, you know, pumpkin has, well, pumpkin can take so many other flavors. Yeah. Right. And, it, and the texture when it cooks is so nice and the apple juice is good. That's a great combination. Yeah. It's so, got this unctuousness to it. And when combined with the tartness of the apple, it's just magical. Love that. Um, I'm looking, I'm trying to find a picture. Uh, well, you can't see it, but so in the, in the new book, I have some savory baking as well as um, sweet. And one of the things I've got is a galette. So it's, Ooh, yeah. uh, well, a galettes are like the greatest thing for people who are like just starting in pie making and might be a little nervous because they're meant to be just higgledy piggledy and rough around the edges. And so it's a galette with potatoes and the, the possibility of slipping slices of apple into Ooh. the rounds of, yeah. So that's, a, that's great for this time. Mushrooms soon. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's, this is really a good cooking and baking time. Yeah. It's my favorite season for that. I love it. Well, Dory, thank you for being on the podcast. I've really had such a great time talking to you and I feel so blessed to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for being with, here with me. It's so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let me know when you bake those croissants. I want to hear from you. I will. I will. I will do that. I will okay. send you pictures. Please. I would love that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was my conversation with the wonderful and just fun uh, Dory Greenspan. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and come back to us on Friday. We're going to be having Rose Levy Berenbaum on the on the podcast. Um, she is another one of the greats that we've had on the podcast that we're going to be bringing back for an encore presentation on Friday. And uh, you should be there for that. If you've not heard that yet, uh, please listen to it. If you've heard it before, uh, you know, you're welcome to listen to it again. It was a great interview. And um, I loved just talking to both these wonderful food writers. Um, if you have not listened to this podcast before, um, I always like to mention that um, we have links on the uh, bio where you can buy me a cup of coffee or a pint. It's up to you or leave feedback. And also you can subscribe with the link to the podcast newsletter that is pending. And also we always recommend uh, people share this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, just let people know about it so we can get more listeners. Um, our podcast theme song, Talk About Love, is sung by one of my favorite bands, Kitty Cat Fan Club. Their label, Asian Man Records, is given permission for its use. You can check them out and see other bands on this wonderful label if you go to asianmanrecords.com. You could also you know, buy some LPs, some uh, CDs, some t-shirts. You can buy some bumper stickers or stickers, hoodies. There's all kinds of merch available. Um, so check that out as well. Hope you all are having a wonderful Monday and keep on cooking. I've been getting